Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I am back in my home office, back with my good microphone again, so you don't have to listen to my bad audio quality this time. And man, I almost interrupted you because you never say anything after your name, Uh, but I am Matt Rectine. (laughs) I am going to sound a little under the weather, Um, but... Ryan and I are also back from former co-hosts and special guest every year, uh, Pat Fox and JJ Cody's wedding. So we missed the game this week, but based on what everybody uh, was tweeting us and just keeping up with the with the game feed, Tulsa took care of business. Uh, not just took care of business; they <laughs> like not a question. Absolutely destroyed Jacksonville State this weekend which is good for a lot of reasons. Uh, One being we've played in way too many close games, and this was not the type of team that um, we should have lost to or not lost to. Well, yes, definitely not lost to um, like we saw last year. But even just, you know, we haven't shown that we can take it against FCS teams in the last couple of years even. And so to see the offense just be as strong as they were to the point where we benched our starters, towards the end of the game like that's not something that i think we've seen since 2016 2015 maybe so super exciting uh ryan thoughts yeah i mean and not even really toward the end of the game i think we actually ended up benching them like halfway through the third quarter uh is what it looked like to me so pretty pretty dominant but yeah like you said neither of us could actually watch this game uh you mentioned pat's wedding already got to give a shout out also one to pat of course former co-host but also to a uh, frequent guest on the show, JJ Cody, who comes on all the time every year. I think every year since our second year, is that right? We st- we started her in 2019, third year, I think 2020. It was, yeah, the year Pat dropped off, we started uh, because it was whenever. Oh, COVID you know that happened, makes sense because we had that uh, six or seven weeks in a row where we were previewing <laughs> OSU, and we were yeah. like, let's let's just bring her on for a no sports zone. Yeah, yeah, so that makes sense. Okay, so yes, JJ Cody uh, from JJ's No Sports Zone fame, of course, and All Star Trek on Twitter. Uh, yeah, so they got married to each other. Uh, if you hadn't been paying close attention to the podcast, maybe you didn't know uh, they were dating and then engaged, and now they are married. So big congrats to them. It was an amazing time at the wedding. Uh, but yeah, so we'll talk some of this game. Not going to go super deep on it, as as we have both said now. We did not watch. Um, but yeah, Matt, dominant game. 40-3 to at halftime. 4-0-3. Not 14. 4-0-3. At halftime in this game, and it only they only scored uh, 17 points in total uh, because we put in our second and third stringers, uh, like you mentioned, later in the game, uh, midway through, the, uh, or not even midway through, uh, midway through the third quarter. So pretty wild. Doubled them up in total yardage, 621 total yards for yards for Tulsa versus 295 for Jacksonville State. Zero turnovers for Tulsa versus three turnovers for Jacksonville State. Pretty much dominance in every facet of the game. Uh, Lachlan Wilson just nailing punts all over the place. He had four of them. Uh, he was named the Ray Guy National Punter of the Week. 
four punts, 44, 44 and a half yard average on those punts, all four of those punts down inside the five yard line. That is insanity. And it goes in an, in a, in an arrow here. It go all his punts down at the four, the three, the two, and then the one pretty amazing, uh, dominant game from him. Dominant game across the board. I'll stop saying dominant. It was insane. Uh, one of the coolest things I thought happened. I mean, there were so many, so many big plays. All, all I did is was watch kind of an extended highlight of this game for the most part. So I mostly only saw the cool plays. Uh, however, underrated cool thing that happened. Bill Jackson, RB one, baby nine carries for bill. The freshman, uh, getting in there. He doesn't, you know, with, you still have the red shirt rule where you can play in four games and not lose your red shirt. So he was able to come in, uh, lead all running backs. He got the most carries and the most yards, nine carries for 59 yards, including a 32 yarder in there. So very excited about that. I love bill Jackson really pumped. Um, the thing we didn't, you know, neither of us got to see, it was a home game, but neither of us got to go. So didn't get to see what the turnout was like uh, for this game. I know it was less in terms of fan numbers than the home opener. Uh, I looked back at the attendance numbers. The home opener had about 22,000, which blows every other game last season out of the water. So extremely good for the home opener last last week or two weeks ago. Um, and then this past week was down to 17,000. And I understand it's an FCS game, uh, so that's probably just how that goes. Um so we'll, I think the big question mark is like how many people show up for Cincinnati, right? That's the AAC opener. It's the home opener. It's a big time team. We haven't seen them in Tulsa Stadium in a long time. I'm excited for that game. If we can get back to that 22,000 number, possibly more, especially if we come off a nice close game or a win potentially against Ole Miss, uh, that would help that, no doubt. Um, so I'm excited. I mean, it was 918 day uh, at the stadium. It was like Tulsa's University Day, which not a fan of that name, as we've discussed before, but 918 day, also pretty good. Uh, in addition to that, it was Alzheimer's Awareness Day, which we do every year. And it was also um, Ashley Montgomery did put on and organize the Walk to End Alzheimer's. And they raise, you know, they do a bunch of fundraising for that event every year. And I was listening to her. She she talked on uh, the Eye of the Hurricane podcast Um as part of the like Monday radio show with Phil Montgomery that they put out as a podcast as well. And she was given some stats about how that's gone over the years. And I knew it was a pretty big deal in Tulsa. I knew she did a good job with it, but I didn't realize how good we like Tulsa did compared to other cities. Uh, there are like a hundred or so cities that put on something like this or more. Maybe I couldn't remember what the total number was. And Tulsa's fundraising amount for this Alzheimer's fund that they raised for is consistently in the top 15 and has before been in the top five, which is pretty insane to me. Uh, so awesome work for them. I'm not sure how it went this year. I haven't heard anything about it, but I'm sure it was good as usual. Um, and you get to cap it off with a, with a big time win over Jacksonville state. So pretty psyched about that. It was a hell of a game. Yeah. And so my thought, well, I don't know if this isn't really a controversial, controversial or hot take, <laughs> Playing in FCS school, I'm not surprised that attendance drops off, especially from the home opener. Yeah, for but sure. I think, you know, every win and every time that people see the atmosphere, which I assume was at least the tailgating was like they did all the same stuff as they did during the first week. Like that's positive momentum. And so I kind of feel like Cincinnati, yeah, they're down this year than they have been in the past. But since we haven't seen them and since there's kind of that uh, opinion that they were avoiding us in 2020 or stuff like that. I wouldn't be, I, I think they'll bounce back up. So yeah, me too. Yeah. Just from a, 
I was looking at the uh, just a little bit of the attendance numbers from last year, uh, just overall, and the home open. So I mentioned already home opener this year against Northern Illinois, twenty two thousand, right? Most in, definitely the most of all of last year. I'm sure it's the most in many years. Uh, the home opener last season against UC Davis uh, was fifteen thousand. So an FCS team, even for the home opener, uh, was significantly below what we had uh, this year. And then even for the next game, you know, obviously it doesn't help when you lose your first one. Uh, that's definitely not going to help your numbers. But the first FBS home game uh, was against Arkansas State, and it dropped from 15,000 down to uh, just under, uh, to 14,880. So, uh, and like we never, I think the most we had last season all year was like in the 17,000 number. So being 5,000 above that uh, for the home opener in one year that Brad Carson is trying to make these changes is is a pretty significant jump. And then dropping down to 17,000 for an FCS team, I think is pretty solid as well. So I, I agree. I think it'll be back up for Cincinnati. I'm very interested to see how much up it is. Um, I mean, it could be higher than like the home opener. You know, Northern Illinois is not a team that I think of and get excited about. Cincinnati is. I like playing Cincinnati. They are have long been the top dog in the conference or up in the upper echelon of the conference even before that. And maybe they're not quite where they were last year, obviously, making the playoff. You're probably not going to be able to do that two years in a row, but they'll still be in the upper tier of the conference. They have a very high chance of making the conference championship game. Still a lot of talent on that defense. Offense has some question marks, but um, that's that'll be an amazing one. So I hope the I hope everybody shows out for that Cincy game. Yeah, and so like that Arkansas State game last year. I mean, we were zero and three at that point already in the season. <laughs> yeah. You know, with losses <laughs> right. to UC Davis, OSU, and OSU, mm-hmm. and then like just it's going to be hard to get people to keep coming to games at that point. And then for sure, good point. As far as Cincinnati, just I guess more emphasizing your point. They were a playoff team last year, which I think is a huge name draw for people. So, like, casual football fans, uh, college football fans, like, they're like, oh, Tulsa's playing the team that the first team not in a power conference to make the playoffs. Like, that's kind yeah. of just a big matchup, even if they're not totally. the same team that they were last year. So, I don't know. I'll be there, of, of course, obviously. Um, I'm excited for it. But, won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We got Ole Miss this week and still, um, you know, this game this last weekend to to look at. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I might be there for Cincinnati. We'll see. I've been doing a lot of traveling, debating whether to go. I really want to go. I'm actually leaning towards yeah. yes again after leaning almost no last week. So going back and forth on whether I, I need to buy my tickets here like pretty soon. So we'll see. But anyway, Everybody yeah. at Ryan Token to come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it'd be, I I definitely am. uh, It's going to be an awesome game for sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to that preview. We've got a fun guest coming on for that one too. So it should be cool, but okay. Um, Let's, you know, I I feel weird trying to do a recap of this game, having not watched it. So I think we should maybe get into players of the game here uh, and we can talk about some player stats while we do that. But before we do players of the game, just wanted to talk uh, real quick penalties. Um, Tulsa apparently had 10 for 85 yards, even against an FCS team at home. That is pretty high. I know 10 is, on, like in the past, 10 would have been like a pretty solid job from Philip Montgomery and the staff in terms of penalty numbers. Uh, but man, like you would think, I don't know. I was feeling better about penalties so far this year. And, and how we ended the season last season was also very solid in penalty numbers. So to have 10 against an FCS team, not great. I don't know if a lot of those came late in the game when we had our second and third stringers in there. That that could totally be what happened. Uh, not sure. And I can't, can't talk about it. So I don't know. Uh, so that's a bummer. Jacksonville State had six for 50 yards, though. Yeah, that was going to be my point is 
the only thing that would make it not, you know, frustrating as much as if it was all, all our young guys who yeah. are getting some of their first experience in experience in but still not um not the trend you want to see going into yeah uh, the hard portion of the schedule yep agreed and then final thing before we do uh players of the game uh we had some injuries in the last game uh our starting center and who has apparently become kind of the vocal leader of that offensive line will farniak got hurt uh, which is not great. You know, like one of the younger groups, probably the most inexperienced group in the whole team uh, has their kind of lead man go down and not sure what the seriousness that of that injury is or any of these other ones, but he got hurt. Uh, Taj Gary got hurt, the running back, which sucks because he had, he had, he had kind of been showing some stuff too. So I hope he's not out for too long because he looks like a big physical guy who could kind of be that, the, that generic Prince, like big physical man back there that we need. And, uh, somebody mentioned possibly one of the defensive linemen as well. Not sure who, if that's a real thing. I did tweet out at uh, John Tranchina, the new TU beat writer, on if he had anything, uh, any news on what those injuries were like or how long they're expected to be out or if they're bad at all or anything. And he basically said, no, no news, nothing really to report. Uh, so he said, he asked Coach Montgomery at the press conference today if there was an update on Farniak and Gary. So he didn't mention the defensive linemen. So I wonder if that's not a real thing. Uh, but he asked about Farniak and Gary, and he said, Montgomery said, quote, not at this particular time. We'll see how they go this week in practice. <laughs> so uh, more kind of coach speak uh, from Monty. So, uh, I mean, I know Gabe Cantu is the backup center. So if we see Cantu out there taking the starting snaps at center, then Farniak we know is, is probably out for the game. And in terms of Gary, it's just another one on the list of running backs that are having, having trouble for us this year. And, I'm glad we saw some serious stuff out of Bill Jackson because if, especially if Gary's out, it's going to be Bill Jackson and uh, Jordan Ford <laughs> like and Steven Anderson, of course. Uh, but after Steven, those two guys. So, man, uh, I mean, those are two positions where we don't have that much depth <laughs> or experience uh, anymore. And for those guys to be the ones getting hurt is kind of a punch to the gut. So hopefully it's not too bad with either of them, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think an injury of that position will just exacerbate um... – an issue that hasn't really existed or it's existed, obviously like our running game has been the weakest point of our offense for sure. But like we haven't, I, I think seen the fallout of that yet. Like Davis Brin is the top quarterback in the country, you know, 1200 yards, 11 touchdowns, one interception. But with how much our running game has been struggling, there's going to be a wall like We'll talk about it in our um, interview coming up here, but like Ole Miss's defense is kind of designed to prevent the passing game. Yep. And so eventually, you know, we could see a lot more teams kind of sell out to stop Davis because they know that we're not going to be able to get a lot in our running game. So any injury hurts. It's like, yeah, but. At the same time, it's like if any one of them gets injured, it's not like it's the worst possible because right now they're all kind of equivalent in my mind. Like there's no guy who's kind of come <laughs> yeah. forward and been the guy yet. So I'd really like to see that. I was really hoping we were going to see that against Jacksonville State. And like you said, like Bill Jackson, got he got the most carries with nine, but then you had seven for Ford. Anderson 
uh, Gary had three before he got hurt. And so still waiting on somebody to kind of be the guy. Yep. Agreed. Uh, and it seemed like Gary was kind of, kind of getting there. Like he was sort of making a name for himself. I feel like Steven Anderson is the guy in most people's heads, but his numbers just haven't been there. And I, I just think he's a little bit too slow to really be like that name, the big name, you know, in the running back room that everybody like that opposing teams are going to be worried about. You know, we don't have a guy like that. Our rushing offense is, is not very good. So I agree. Uh, and it's hard to have the guy, you know, when you've been planning on having two the guys uh, before the season and both of them got hurt. So that really sucks. Uh, but no, I hear you. So it's, it'd be nice if one of those guys can really uh, step up and, and make a name for themselves here. Uh, Ole Miss would be a great time to do it. Uh, so we'll see. But SEC oh, sorry. speed. SEC speed, baby. You haven't seen SEC speed yet. That's what, that's what everybody always says on Twitter. Except for uh, UCF. I remember a couple years ago uh, thinking one of their running backs, uh, I think it was Otis Anderson, a little small running back, was like they were playing some. I think it was probably before the uh, Peach Bowl where they played Auburn and beat him. They were, he was like, we, you haven't seen AAC, AAC speed. And, oh, man, did they eat that up. And then they beat him, though. And so it was like it worked out for him. Uh, so that was cool. I, I mean, I like it. You know, have some confidence. It's, it's good. All right, let's get into players of the game here. Uh, we'll start with offense. I'm pretty sure I started last week. Uh, so how about you start this week with offensive player of the game, Matt? I mean, it's it's getting too easy for me. I know. How um, can you not? It's just impossible. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I am, of course, of course going to take – Braylon Braxton. Yes. He did have a great game. He did. For what he did. But Davis Brin, once again, three for three, offensive player of the game. I mean, already talked about it. This guy's leading the country after three games in terms of yards, in terms of um, yards per game, uh, up there for touchdowns, I think, with the Drake Meyer. May mm. I thought he was I number think. one in touchdown passes. He's tied with the uh, quarterback from North Carolina. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who is the only, fun fact, the only quarterback with a better uh, efficiency numbers Ooh. than Davis Burn in the country in terms nice. of EPA versus uh, usage. So fun little sneak preview about something that may be in the works for this week. <laughs> um, but Davis Brin threw 424 yards. He had four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like he has flipped a switch this year we already we've talked about that i don't know how much of like i don't know if i need to keep beating a dead horse on that but you know outside of one pass that could have been last year that pass to uh that stokes caught off of a defender for a <laughs> touchdown that's an interception last year this for year, sure it's the opposite like yeah things are just going right for davis and so i'd love to see that um go forward with Ole miss because because if we want to win next week, Davis needs to be the Davis that we saw against Ohio state against like mm -hmm. everybody thought Ohio state was going to just steamroll us last year. And Davis did not roll over. He kept us in like that. The only reason that game was looked not as close, I guess at the final score was, you know, some, I don't want to call it garbage time, but some, you know, like a pick six right at the end, stuff like that. He kept us in that game. And so I think he has that potential again for this week, for this upcoming week, because of what we've seen these last three games. 
For sure. I don't think you're being a dead horse at all. It's it's a, it's extremely appropriate to be this excited about Davis Brand. He is playing lights out. When is the last time Tulsa has had the nation's leader in four stat categories? It's four. Total yards, yards per game, touchdown passes, and total offense, right? When is the last time that happened? Probably not. I mean, I, I don't want to say ever, but it's been a long time. I don't think Dane Evans, even in his prime, was ever number one in the country. I definitely don't remember that being the case. Um, not saying that Davis is necessarily better than Dane Evans, uh, but he's certainly on on trajectory to be that, right? I mean, he's looking incredible. So I agree. How can you not pick him uh, for player of the game? I do want to, you know, you mentioned Braylon Braxton. Uh, got to gotta shout him out real quick. Um, he first, <laughs> couple couple firsts for him in this one. First one is even more surprising than the second one. Uh, first collegiate pass attempt for Braylon Braxton. He has never attempted a pass in, in college before, despite being in several games last year. All he did was do that little angle run to the side every time. So finally got him loose on the outside, uh, made, an, made a couple nice passes, including also another first, his first career touchdown pass. And that led to another first, which was Marquise Shoulders, the receiver, first career touchdown catch. So three firsts uh, in this game, two for Braylon Braxton, one for Marquise Shoulders. Very cool. Big shout out to Braylon. Um, I did again, I'm going to say it again, didn't watch the game, but everybody on Twitter, uh, was telling us that Braxton actually looked pretty sharp. He looks like he's improved in terms of how he looks when he's throwing the ball, uh, how he acts when he's on the field, his command of the offense that all apparently looked significantly better, uh, than it has in the spring even, or definitely last year when we look at him throwing the ball. So, um, that is extremely encouraging because losing Davis Brin. Uh, we talked about it early when we first started like this season of the podcast this year, losing him would be uh, disastrous for this team in, in our opinion, because what we had seen in the past from Braylon Braxton and from Roman Fuller was not encouraging, right? They're not horrible quarterbacks or anything, but not experienced and neither of them looked comfortable out there. And apparently that is not, not may, maybe isn't the case. And yes, it's FCS talent he's playing against out there. It's probably easier to be comfortable probably wouldn't want to throw him into the fire against Ole Miss next week or anything like that. But I think there is a little bit more um, signs of encouragement in terms of where Braylon Braxton might be. And it's also kind of nice to know that it seems like Braxton is the clear number two, right? And we sort of knew that, uh, but it had always been like, is it Braxton or Fuller, right? And I didn't, you know, I hadn't heard who who was the definitive backup there. So nice to kind of see that we have some clarity on if Brand does get hurt or has to go out for a few plays or something, uh, who that guy is going to be. So encouraging there. Um, but long-winded way of me saying, yeah, I agree. It's Davis Brand. How can it not be? That guy is just incredible. Um, I guess I'll, you know, all the <laughs> literally all of the receivers you could also sort of give this to. Like, just an insane game from all of them. Uh, two of them over 100 yards again. Keelan Stokes led the group. Nine catches, 153 yards and a touchdown, with one of those being that 46-yarder that you mentioned, Matt, which was <laughs> should have been a pick, <laughs> honestly. But like, went off just like laid it in the breadbasket of the Jacksonville State defender who just kindly pops it up and backwards for Stokes to just land in his lap and a little just like walk into the end zone. Incredible play right there. Uh, Tulsa football was trying to get it like on the not top 10 uh, for Sports Center. I don't know if that ended up happening or not. Or not the not top 10, the actual top 10. And uh, some negative Nancy replied and said, this should be on the not top 10. I was like, okay, whatever, get out of here. Uh, but then also like JC Santana, three catch, only three catches, but 137 yards and a touchdown off that. One of them a 60 yard uh, bomb from Bryn. Uh, Malachi Jones, another nine catches, 68 yards. Isaiah Epps had a touchdown in there. It's like down the list, everybody. And then Marquis Shoulders, like we mentioned already, gets his first 
his first career t- uh, touchdown. So pretty insane from them. Uh, Got to ring the Bill Jackson bell again. Uh, I saw Palmer Watkins on Twitter calling him a bigger Shamari Brooks. And I was like, is he actually bigger? Because he doesn't. I mean, he looks kind of big. So I looked it up. Jackson, uh, Bill Jackson, 5'10", 189. Shamari Brooks, 5'8", 194. So Bill Jackson is taller, a little bit lighter, although not fair comparison because Brooks was 194 in his final year with the program. Not sure how heavy he was in his freshman year. I'm sure he was not that heavy. So I imagine that by the end of Bill Jackson's career, he will be uh, what? He'll be 40 pounds heavier. Give it like two years. Yeah, he'll just be a, a slimmer, a slim down version of Steven Anderson and, and as fast as Shamari Brooks. So we'll see. But yeah, uh, I assume that Bill Jackson in, in his fourth year will definitely be uh, bigger than 189 and bigger than Shamari Brooks. So uh, definitely exciting. I mean, I, I've been long hoping to see that guy on the field. I'm kind of bummed I didn't watch this game and couldn't watch this game because he got so many carries this time. But uh, if Gary's out, probably see more of him. Okay, uh, on to defense. Quick. That, oh, yeah, quick. go ahead. Just, I just wanted to... Um, put another quick little spotlight on Keelan Stokes yeah. just in terms of like nationally. So he's leading the American conference in receptions with 28, which I think yeah. is number two in the country. Three, and I think. Then, oh, is it three in yards? I think he's three in yards okay. uh, based on what I've seen. Okay. Um, let me. Yeah. So he's third in receiving yards, second in receiving yards in the American. I assume one of SMU's receivers oh, yeah. is probably number one. Rashi Rice. Um, yeah. And then he's what, number six in touchdowns in the American. He's number 10 in yards from scrimmage in the country. So damn, he's just having – this is the Stokes that we all were waiting for, I think, after his freshman year. And then he just had, yeah. you know, injury issues and all that. And so it's really exciting. And I think just what makes it awesome is I think they're getting a lot more attention nationally because of this. Because it's not just uh, anymore a oh you know after one week you know the small school has all these things now it's been it's been three weeks like that's twenty five percent of the season yeah at this point so I think that's awesome so yeah and the, and the only fun. reason uh, that Bryn didn't have the I mean you you know you were talking about Stokes but I'm gonna bring up Bryn again here uh, the only reason he wasn't number one in these categories earlier uh, in some of them was because of the week zero games like the total yards that they've gone through the air, right? So you had some of the week zero receivers had an extra game of yards over him, and now that's starting to equal out, and Bryn's number one in everything. So yeah, he's nice. got like 150 yards over number two yeah. um, in terms <laughs> you know. of total yards. Yeah, I saw uh, there were going around on Twitter today was Lane Kiffin's press conference talking about TU, and he was mentioning that how it's not even particularly close uh, behind Bryn and, and the passing attack in general for, for our offense right now, which is pretty cool, pretty cool to hear. Uh, you know, We know that it's true, but it's always fun to hear the other guy say it. All right, on to Defensive Player of the Week. I am going Justin Wright. A couple things here. Actually, three things here. One, fumble recovery. One sack. And one interception. All one guy did all that stuff. Interception, a sack, and a fumble recovery, plus five total tackles, which was second on the team uh, in terms of total tackles. So this guy all over the field. Um, I saw the interception on a highlight. I also saw the fumble recovery on the highlight. Uh, I did not see the sack, so I'm not sure how, what that looked like in practice, but um, pretty insane numbers for him, as usual, uh, leading the defense back there. Seems like the vocal guy, as usual, so really cool. Um, all, another little quick note, all three of our primary linebackers there, uh, Justin Wright, John Michael Terry, and Grant Sawyer, all had a tackle for loss, which is something we've been you know, hoping for more of, and 
You know, it, even if it's an FCS team, it's good to see that happening. You know, get the confidence going before the Ole Miss game. Hopefully we can make some of that happen against Ole Miss. So I'm giving it to Justin Wright and the linebacking crew in general, but primarily to him for those the the interception sack and fumble recovery. This was our first game where we recorded a sack, right? I don't think we – I remember last week you kind of talking about um, you wanted to see that, and it looks like we got three, and that's all that we have for the season, right? Yes, sir. Nice. Yeah, pretty awesome. Well, About time. Working, yeah, working on that. Um, yeah, so I was going to do Justin Wright as well, and so I will say he is my one, but I'm just going to share the wealth and give it to Kendarian Ray. This is a guy that we talk about a lot. Um, obviously, Ryan was talking about him in the Locked on Ole Miss podcast um, that we recorded last night but came out this morning. He had a forced fumble and just was third on the team in tackles. Um, this is not the kind of game where, you know, anybody was going to get double-digit tackles. Like, I'm looking at it. We had, like, 20 plus guys uh, get reps during this game, um, which is nice to just kind of get a lot of that experience across the board. And so, but it's definitely nice to see, you know, your safety. I'm not sure if that forced fumble was in special teams or if it was during the game, like during, you know, standard, uh, standard defensive play. Uh, you're talking right. about Justin Wrights? Uh, Kendarian Rice. Oh, the forced yeah. fumble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't but know. I don't know because it was. I think the fumble on the punt was a muffed kick, and so I'm gonna. I don't know yeah. who would have recovered that. Um, I don't know either. Which ended up, I think that led to our safety, um, right off, to start. So, anyways, Kendarian Ray is gonna be number two for me after Justin Wright. Sounds good. Take us away on special teams. Oh man, so hard. No, not really. Yeah. One guy was getting <laughs> for sure national recognition. That was Lachlan Wilson. Four punts, four amazing results. One of them fumbled, and then we scored, I think. Yeah. Um, one of them led to a safety, and then all of them were like within the 10-yard line. Within the five. In, inside, yeah, inside the five, which we already talked about, so... It's nice. It's nice when you have uh, a very easy special teams player of the week. <laughs> yeah. Not often does this happen for uh, for Tulsa Sports. Lachlan Wilson is kind of the definitely the most stable of the group here, no doubt. Um, but, you know, props to Zach Long. He had a 44-yarder in this game. That's cool. Uh, but, yeah, when you win the Ray Guy National Punter of the Week Award, it's kind of, it's hard not to uh, just give it to him. And he deserves it, man. Hell of a game, it seems like, for him. So that is awesome. My only hope is that he didn't burn all of his incredible punts within the five uh, this game and because we, we're going to need as many of those as possible uh, against all Miss, I think. Yeah, and Zach didn't miss a single <laughs> kick, which was Jeez. Uh, nice to see just – you know, maybe get his mojo back a little bit, even though he only took one field goal. Yeah. Had, I mean, a 44-yarder, that's good. They're not gimmies. Yeah, no doubt. He had seven of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. And okay. Also, I'm, I'm oh, yeah. a little surprised, and I wonder if this is just a result of him, like, having missed kicks so far this season, that they didn't have Tyler Tipton or somebody else kind of get some reps on PATs at all in this game. Because it kind of seems like the kind of game where you would see that. So I'm curious if they stuck with him just to get him more comfortable this season. 
Yeah, that was my thought too. I mean, I don't know. You always hear about kickers and nerves and, you know, your the whole crowd is staring at one person and waiting on that to happen, right? And if he's lost a little bit of confidence this year, I wouldn't be too surprised because it hasn't, you know, last year was so incredible and high expectations for him and it hasn't quite been there as much. So maybe they're just trying to, you know, settle him in, easy home crowd, up big, just hit the 44 yarder and, and get out of there, right? So I bet that's what it was. They should encourage the crowd to like <laughs> – not pay attention to the game during kickers so that take all that pressure <laughs> off of them like play some music do some stuff i don't know i, would, I know it's not legal but yeah you know free beer during uh during field goals everybody leave the stadium oh, go get some beer. that would be nice but if he misses then you have to pay for it <laughs> yeah there you go how are you thinking all right uh before we get to all miss here let's cover what else happened uh around the conference last week uh so Week three. Uh, I had week two in here. That is totally wrong. Week three. Uh, every game was on Saturday this week. Um, man, there were some amazing games. Ugh, like, man, I, I'm glad we went to the wedding. Loved going. Had a great time. But, man, there were some amazing games. So, we definitely, we definitely, obviously, the Tulsa one, but missed some good ones in the conference, too. Um, start off with maybe the best game of the week, uh, which didn't end up in the in the plus side of the thing, uh, side of the field for, for the American. But South Florida played Florida in the swamp on the road, 23 and a half point underdogs. USF almost got them. Final score, 31 to 28 Florida. And this is the same Florida team that beat a ranked Utah, like number eight Utah, the first week of the, of the, of the season. So very surprising. I mean, people are, you know, after that first week for Florida, their quarterback, Anthony Richardson, people thought he was you know, the next Jesus, uh, incarnate on the, on the field for them. And he was play he did play extremely well against Utah, but extremely raw guy, extremely young guy. Um, and he has not lived up to what he did that first week against Utah. So he threw two picks against South Florida, who does not have a particularly great defense. Um, and he didn't look very good in general. Uh, the ground game on both sides, extremely heavy. Uh, both teams ran all over each other. Uh, Brian Batty from South Florida ran for 150 yards on a touchdown, um, and they had a chance to tie this thing up with like eight seconds left in this game to send it to overtime. And it wasn't an easy field goal, but they is a 49 yarder. So not an, not an unmissable one. Uh, and he missed it, unfortunately. So that's how they got out of there. Um, and ended up losing that game, but man, to be a, to be a three point game on the road against Florida, like your in-state like power school, hell yeah. USF, like that's amazing. They've been so down for so long. Had they been able to pull that off, and even even just playing this close, I think is a monstrous momentum shift in their favor. So interested to see how they do uh, going forward. Um, next up, Cincinnati beat in-state uh, MAC rival Miami of Ohio, thirty-eight to seventeen. Don't really have anything to say about that one. Cincinnati's beat them many times in a row now. I don't remember. I saw it on Twitter actually today. It's like the last ten they've won or something. But uh, yep, they won this one again. It wasn't super close. They were down in the first quarter, but that was all. Then they kind of ran away with it. Uh, the next one, somewhat interesting. Temple lost to Rutgers, 16 to 14 at home. Rutgers, you think of as a pretty bad team, uh, but they're actually, th- you know, they're not the same horrible, horrible Rutgers that they've been for the last like five years. Uh, they're a little bit better. I think SP Plus has them like in the 80s this year. Uh, Temple is very, very near like 131, like the bottom of the barrel. Somewhere they're like 126 or something. Not your older brothers, Rutgers. Not my older brother's Rutgers. Yes, exactly. Uh, if I had it's an older brother, that long ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, still not a great team, and to get them at home and almost beat them, I feel like is is pretty cool. 
we talked about Temple, you know, down bad, but they are starting a new quarterback, EJ Warner. We talked about him last year. Uh, it skipped my mind, and I don't think I even knew this at the time. EJ Warner, Matt, Kurt Warner's son. You saw that. Yeah. I had no idea last week. Uh, I saw that like a day after, and I was like, damn, I should have I should have known that for the podcast. But oh well. So Kurt Warner's son, uh, EJ, is he is Temple's starting quarterback. Uh, he played amazing uh last week in there you know when uh dewan mathis got benched uh they benched him finally and brought in ej and he looked amazing they won that game uh fcs team whatever he came back down to earth this game uh went 19 for 32 with a pick six in there so not great um but it is against a power five team for whatever that's worth even though it's rutgers it is at home hoping to get that win but unfortunately not for temple they got a long way to go ej warner might be good but the rest of that roster is is pretty rough and ej's very young so uh, we'll see what happens there. Next up, the best result uh, easily in the in the conference slate this week. That was Tulane playing Kansas State on the road in Manhattan. The Little Apple beat them 17 to 10. And a couple things there. One, unfortunately, that is after three weeks the first Power Five win of the season for the conference. So that kind of you know that strikes you. That's like very often. I would say every other year we have a P5 win early in the season, first week or second week for sure. To go this long without it, I mean, it's been just loss after loss this season for them. So uh, the conference, um, you know, down, absolutely down uh, compared to the season's past, uh, which is a little bit of a bummer, but opens the door for Tulsa potentially. Uh, but yeah, so first Power 5 win of the season, uh, Tulane gets it, beats Kansas State. Kansas State, you might remember we talked about them. They are uh, they have an All-American running back in Deuce Vaughn, and they were coming off last week a 40-12 to domination of Matt and I's hometown Missouri Tigers. So that is uh, that is a solid Big 12 team. Regardless of Mizzou probably being the worst team in the SEC, K-State beating them by 28 or whatever that is, uh, Tulane coming in and playing them on the road and, and winning that game by a touchdown, despite Michael Pratt, Tulane's quarterback, throwing two interceptions, that's pretty impressive. They ran the ball pretty well on him. Pratt himself ran it for 87 yards. Tulane, I mean – I know it's, you know, they played two bad teams their first two games, but then they beat a power five Kansas state. So are they the real deal this year? I mean, they, they might be, they might, uh, um, they might be a sleeper for, for the conference as well. I'm really interested to see how, how, uh, how they do. Um, then we got some bummers here, Houston playing Kansas. I mean, bummer for Houston. <laughs> Pretty funny for us, but Houston lost to Kansas at 48 to 30 by like, Oh my, at, at home too. This was at, at U of H and you know, I didn't, watch any of these games so not sure what happened here but all I saw you know we're we're kind of podcast buddies with the Scott and Holman podcast who I'm sure we will have on our show and I'm sure we will go on theirs later in the season when we play them uh, final game of the year but wow were they down in the dumps after that game it was like apparently attendance was terrible nobody played particularly well they were really pissed at Holgerson and and his uh, control of that team and I mean they're about to go into this conference. And they just got shellacked by who has been the team that has been the worst team in the Big 12 for many years now. And I know KU is now three and zero, and they have they've now got wins over Houston and West Virginia. So clearly they're on the up in some way. And Lance Leipold, I think, is actually doing a pretty good job. But Houston, I can guarantee you, did not think they were going to lose that game or that it should be anywhere close in the vicinity. Again, this is not your older brothers kansas not it's not even Michael like your is he is gunning for that nebraska job <laughs> maybe that's what it is man 
It's not, but it's not even like your, uh, not even like your your way older cousin's Kansas. It's like maybe your dad's Kansas. Like, like I'm thinking of my I rem- dad. I remember like Chase Daniels. Oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Against Mizzou. Okay, because yeah. it's like KU was good back then. I remember. I, KU was. I I've got a for a long time the like wallpaper on my MacBook when I was in like middle school or my I don't even it was probably Windows PC was a. It was a picture of it was like number two Kansas. Mizzou had beaten them. Uh, I don't I don't even know if Mizzou was ranked. They probably I don't know. They might have been. Uh, this is way back when, and the picture was just like the Kansas guy at the end of the game um, with like a big chunk of grass in his helmet, crying. <laughs> it's like amazing. And that was my computer wallpaper for a long time. So Kansas used to be very good. They still blew it, even when they were good. Uh, but uh, they've obviously uh, been been pretty down for quite a while. So. Not great uh, when when Houston, who is like the darling of the American this year. I mean, oh my God, everybody thinks they were going to ro- run away with this league. Cincinnati's going to be down. Houston's going to run away with it. They've got the easiest non-conference schedule. Like, you know, not non-conference. They got the easiest conference schedule, which is still true. They do have a very easy conference schedule. So they could bounce back and win it. Um, but man, what a poor start. They're one and two right now, which is not what you would have thought uh, coming in, uh, going into conference play here in a week. Um, okay. Rounding things out here. I don't have much on any of the rest of these games. East Carolina beat Campbell 49 to 10. Got nothing on that. That's a win. East Carolina looks good. Uh, if it was closer, that'd be more concerning. Uh, Memphis beat Arkansas state 44 to three. I don't think that's true. I think it was 44 to 35 or something. I think I forgot the final digit, uh, closer, close ish game. Um, and they play each other all the time. So, uh, don't have anything else on that one either. Um, SMU playing Maryland. That was the final really interesting game of this one. SMU lost another power five loss. So we still only have one power five win on the year after Houston loses to Kansas and SMU loses to Maryland. Final score of that one, 34 to 27. Here comes Tanner Mordecai again, right? Like firepower on his arm for sure. And he is extremely talented, but he can definitely turn the ball over. He did. He did last year too. He threw two picks in this game. And that was enough for Maryland to, to take it away. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa, to his younger brother, of course, from Maryland. Their quarterback had a great day, passed for 214 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That was the difference in the game. Uh, Maryland had over 200 yards rushing and receiving in that one. So SMU, they've definitely got talent. But as usual, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. They're not really a complete team across the board. And while they do have talent in the skill positions, I think the other positions are a little bit lacking. So still very excited for that game uh, for homecoming. Definitely a winnable one. And then the last one, uh, UCF played Florida Atlantic, who they were losing to through like two quarters or one and a half quarters. And I was losing my mind at this wedding because I looked at the score. I was like, oh, my God, what if Florida Atlantic beats them? I even picked up my phone and showed it to Matt. Put it down, picked it up again two hours later, checked the score. UCF beat them 40 to 14. So <laughs> it was not even close uh, in the end. Uh, still, I think a lot of questions probably for Central Florida with John Rice Plumley being not a great passing quarterback, but definitely a running quarterback, and their rushing defense being pretty uh, lackluster. So that's all on the American this week. Interesting week. Uh, lots of cool games that most of them didn't go the American's way. However, there were some fun ones. But Tulane, definitely the kings of the week, beating a very, I think, a, I think actually still a very good Big 12 team uh, on the road. So props to them for that one. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, we've got our Ole Miss preview up next. We are bringing on Ruby Dreyer. Uh, she is from Red Cup Rebellion, and right before we started recording, we were just chatting, and she was like, oh, and I'm also on college game day these days, uh, which is so cool. <laughs> so she's doing that as well. She goes to every college game day game. She works for it, uh, gets to do some awesome production value stuff around there. So very cool. Uh, we talked to her about all kinds of stuff, um, everything from Lane Kiffin and does the fan base like her, like, like, like her, like him, uh, their new quarterback, their very weird three, two, six offense that, uh, Matt talked about a little bit earlier in this episode. Um, their running back room that is just extremely powerful, uh, and a whole bunch more. And you'll even get to hear her think that, uh, uh you'll get to hear her, uh, give her prediction on whether she thinks Tulsa, uh, can play in this one. So stick around. We'll catch you over to that right now and we'll catch you afterwards. All right, and we are here with Ruby Dreyer from Red Cup Rebellion, which is SB Nation's Ole Miss community online and also college game day, uh, we recently learned. She is helping out with now. Very cool. Uh, Ruby, really excited to talk some Ole Miss with you. Welcome to the show. How about we get started with uh, some background on you and how you became an Ole Miss fan and what it's like both writing for Red Cup Rebellion and also working for college game day now. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I actually became an Ole Miss fan when I came to school. Um, I'm originally from Las Vegas, and I knew I wanted to – UNLV wasn't really going to get me in the door where I wanted to be. Um, so I branched out to the SEC. I came out to an Ole Miss-Auburn game in 2016. It's actually the game Laquan Treadwell, you know, broke his ankle. But um, I fell in love with it immediately, and I just graduated in May. So Ole Miss fan for life. <laughs> very nice so did you know I guess that you wanted to get into sports from the beginning is that why you chose Ole Miss yeah I've known um since I was really young that I I wanted to be somewhere in the sports atmosphere and um I think I've been in love with college football I actually only have one little sister and I credit my dad for pretty much getting me into sports because he didn't have any other sons so he kind of nicknamed me his favorite son <laughs> uh, everywhere with him and that's just kind of how I fell in love with it is through all of the antics that he would bring me into. Yeah, awesome. Was your was your dad an UNLV guy? You mentioned being from Las Vegas, or was he? What was he a He's fan of? Actually, a University of Utah fan. So go Utes. That's yeah. what I grew up loving. Um, which it, he actually didn't graduate from there. So it does. I don't really know why he's a Utah <laughs> fan, but um, my younger sister did also just graduate from Utah. So it's it's in our blood now. Very nice. Yeah, that's cool. All right, let's get into it a little bit here. I uh, want to start off with just, uh, you know, before we look into this game and this season, how it's been so far, a little bit into last season, um, just talking about how much Ole Miss lost from last year. I know it was a lot. Obviously, you lost Matt Corral, a bunch of other weapons around the field. Uh, but just break it down. What what was the what were the losses like and um, whether that was to the NFL or graduation and, and what's it looking like uh, with the pieces that came in to kind of replace them? Yeah, we've had a huge turnover rate um, from last year to this year. And um, I remember seeing something about 44% of the roster is new, um, either transfers or freshmen. So lucky for Ole Miss that they've kind of been able to replenish. I don't want to say replace because it's hard to, you know, obviously we have Jackson Dart in the portal, but Jackson Dart isn't going to replace Matt Corral's production. Um, but they've done a really good job of filling in some of those gaps and trying to make it as even as it was um, last year. But um, still waiting to see a, f a few guys step up that when we need them to be. 
Gotcha. And one more question before we kind of get into the TU game and Ole Miss personnel and, and stuff like that. But got to talk some Georgia Tech. You guys just just, just absolutely annihilated them. 42 to nothing in the third quarter, I saw, looking back at the box score. No points scored in the fourth. I assume that's because all the second and third strings were in there. But I, I mostly want to know, one, how that happened, and two, is it mostly that you guys are extremely good or that Georgia Tech is extremely bad or a little bit of both of those? Yeah, right. That's a great question because I'm I'm just as surprised as you were. Um, I feel like the opening game against Troy, you know, Troy's a pretty good team, but we didn't really produce the way that I think a lot of people thought we would. And then against Central Arkansas, just also kind of blew them out. But yeah, against Georgia Tech, I expected um, a little bit more scoring from them for sure. And I didn't think that our offense would look as great as they did. Um, the run game is obviously going to be great throughout the entire season, but even, you know, our passing offense looked great. Jackson looked great. Um, so that was really fun to see. And just defensively, it's been a really long time since we've had such a solid group, um, on defense. Ole Miss has kind of been in the, been in the news, but, um, not in a good way on the Ole Miss defense in the past few years. So it's good to see, you know, a couple blowouts and shutouts for us. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Dart there, so let's start with him. Um, he's just a sophomore, looks like, transferred from USC, uh, presumably because you know Lincoln Riley took over there and brought Caleb Williams with him. Um, Dart, off to a hot start for Ole Miss. Had a pretty solid season last season, though, with USC as well. Uh, this season looks like completing about 66% of his passes, 543 yards, uh, but has thrown two picks to only three touchdowns. So just want to get your uh, your overall thoughts on on Dart so far and um, how he's progressed with the Ole Miss offense uh, this season. For sure. I've been a huge fan of Dart um, since there were rumblings about him um, coming to Ole Miss before it was a sure thing. And I think he's been great. Um, something that it's often hard, and I, I know a lot of other fans are kind of in the same boat, is it's easy to forget that Jackson Dart has never played um, against an SEC team yet. And he's also only 19 years old. And so... <laughs> Him coming in from the transfer portal, you know, you want him to be immediately great and just have no problems, but it's just not ever going to be that way. Um, I think each game he's getting better. Um, there's been a few signs where he's kind of made dumb mistakes. You know, both of those interceptions were just, you know, the, the kid in him comes out just trying to force things um, in a scramble. And so that part obviously needs to get cleaned up because once you're not playing teams like Central Arkansas, you know, Alabama is going to punish you for those every single time. Um, so I'm looking for him to kind of settle down a little bit more. And I think that will come with times and, you know, more experience. But so far, I've, I've loved what I've seen from him. And um, I know Kiffin is still probably never going to announce who the starting quarterback is at this point. Um, but if, you know, I'm willing to bet it's him. So. Okay, interesting. So I didn't even know there was still a little bit of a competition going on uh, happening there. Who is, I guess, behind him that's looking to maybe make his name a little more known? Yeah, so in the offseason, it's been a huge thing of Luke Altmaier and Jackson Dart, who's going to win the starting job, and Kiffin. You know, everyone kind of expected that Kiffin's a ride-or-die person um, when it comes to his quarterback, so we kind of anticipated that he would have an announcement. Um, and then when he didn't after the first game, he said Jackson Dart started the first game. Second game, Luke Altmaier started against Central Arkansas. And um, while that this hasn't been confirmed or anything, but there were, you know, people were talking about how Luke Altmaier had an injury. And heading into Georgia Tech, we all thought, okay, you know, this is it. You know, he's going to name the starter. And again, he said, you know, Jackson's going to start, but Luke will also play. 
Um, so who knows when he will announce, hopefully before the SEC now is what <laughs> yeah. we're all kind of praying for. But yeah, it's it's been an interesting offseason with Lane Kiffin and all of his interesting ways of coaching <laughs> and dealing with the media. Definitely feels like that guy has just always got some antic antics going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so on the on the QB thing is did is there a starter named already for the game against Tulsa or or, or, did, or did you say Altmaier is actually injured for this game or, or what's the so situation there? He was injured for the Georgia Tech game and only came in for I think it was only two drives. Um, but there's still a starter hasn't been named yet. It's going to be Jackson. But, um, you know, because Kiffin is who he is, I think he wants the Tulsa defense to be um, looking at everything that he can, you know, looking at both Altmaier film, the small film that we have, and Dart film to try and, you know, waste their time and ours. Um, But he hasn't named a starter yet officially. Yeah, it seems like the last couple games uh, you really haven't needed Jackson to play amazingly because – just because the SEC run style offense that you guys have and Evans has kind of been really good these first three games. Do you think Dart is the kind of guy that if he gets into a shootout uh, can be that player? Yeah, and that's why um, I've been so high on him is just because I think the ceiling with him is just so much higher than it is with Altmaier. You know, Altmaier is a great quarterback, but the comfort in that he's such a young quarterback and he might make some mistakes is our run game is so dominant that even when he's not at his best, um, they'll be able to bail him out. And, you know, you have Zach Evans, Quinshawn Judkins. We're set. I, I feel really good about whoever's behind center for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the running back room since you brought it up. Uh, looks like, honestly, one of the best in the country. Uh, you mentioned Zach Evans, the TCU transfer. Quinshawn Judkins. Is he a true freshman? Redshirt freshman. True freshman. Okay. True freshman. I mean, okay. Very, very impressive with his numbers so far. And then behind him, third third string, uh, SMU transfer, Ulysses Bentley, who was killing it in the American when he was in here. So I was very surprised to see him uh, at third there. So a, a stable of very solid running backs. If one of them goes down, you got Ulysses coming in there uh, to bring up uh, that spot. Um so I guess, you know, it's been so dominant this year. You mentioned that it was extremely dominant against Georgia Tech, and I assume against the first two opponents as well. Has any team been able to slow down the run game at all so far? And so if so, how did they do that? And if not, are there any weaknesses whatsoever in that run game, or is it pretty much bulletproof? Um, I, I honestly want to say as of right now from what I've seen, it's pretty bulletproof. The only thing that I noticed, um, which – I guess doesn't technically count as run game that it's been a little iffy is they tried to put Zach Evans in the slot against Georgia tech just to kind of, I know they're going to want to use, utilize him more. Um, but he dropped a few passes that, I mean, they weren't great, but they were catchable in my opinion. So that kind of bugged me a little bit because, you know, that's something that you should be able to do. Um, but other than that, I mean, they're just absolutely bodying everyone and Quinshawn Judkins, um, I think he is going to be one of the best running backs in the country and for sure ever at Ole Miss, yeah. which I was saying in the offseason a little bit, but no one kind of believed me because Zach Evans was such a big name. <laughs> and now that he's been doing what he's doing, now now a few more people are jumping on that as well. Was that a surprise with Judkins? Or did everybody, like, did him coming out of high school, was that something people thought was going to happen? Or is his extreme production so early in this season uh, and in, in his career and at large 
um, surprised everybody? I think it's surprised a lot of people because he's actually an Alabama native and he didn't have offers from Alabama or Auburn. So oh, wow. usually when that happens, you know, that's kind of a few red flags. Um, there's actually a picture that's been circulating a lot of Kiffin in December and it's, he looks freezing and he's sitting in the metal bleachers and he was sitting there watching Quinjah Judkins and everyone is now saying like, oh, okay, like that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> we, <laughs> we get it now, Kiffin. Thank you for that. So. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I, I was just so surprised, you know, I, cause I knew about Zach Evans transferring there too. And I knew about Bentley and I figured those two would be the guys. And I thought it was kind of cool because you got the TCU and the SMU guy on the same team now, which is the, you know, big rivalry there. So interesting kind of backstory. Uh, and now you've put out of nowhere, comes this guy that I've never heard of, uh, tearing everybody apart. So it's really awesome. It, it's cool that he's doing so well. Yeah, We love our three headed monster is what we call it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Awesome. So a little bit more on the run game. Um, it feel and forgive me if this is wrong, but I, it feels like you know when I think of Ole Miss in in you know the last several years that I've watched college football, I I think like high flying passing attack, right? And Ole Miss is more run heavy this year than I would expect, I, and you know that makes sense with the stable of running backs you mentioned, the three headed monster there. Is that is that the only reason, or do you think it's also a symptom of Lane Kiffin maybe just you know, taking it easy with Jackson Dart, trying to get him more comfortable before he uh, starts opening up the passing game a little bit more. I think it's a lot of factors that have been going into it lately. I mean, when you have a run game like we have, it's really easy to just feed them the ball because you know that they're going to be productive. Um, another part of it, though, is we don't have a receiver that is kind of broken away from the rest of them. You know, in 2020, when we were just incredible in, yep. in the air we had Elijah Moore who just put it within 15 feet of him and he'll score like he yep. was amazing and this year there's been a lot of transfer receivers um but it's hard to get them to where we need them to be um we but uh, one that's kind of shined against Georgia Tech and a little bit earlier I, I I feel wrong even saying this to you is but is Malik Heath and he's been great. And Jonathan Mingo, both also seniors. Um, so I'm hoping that this will be, you know, kind of when they clock in um, and really give us what we need in the air. Why does it feel wrong to say Malik Heath? Do you remember, was it 2020 bowl game against Tulsa? He used uh, to play Mississippi State. Oh, oh, he was a Mississippi State guy? Yeah, oh, man. The, the kicker. <laughs> oh, God, that is brutal. I forgot, yeah, they, I forgot the been, name everywhere on my twitter of that, you know <laughs> tulsa hate week malik heath is taking this one personally so <laughs> oh my gosh that is hilarious i had no idea i totally forgot that. for our guys too yeah i didn't realize yeah. that because mm-hmm. i have a deep resentment for mississippi state that i'm sure uh, oh luckily we we share that yeah <laughs> there you go very nice uh okay let's get into the defense a little bit here um wanted to talk about it for sure it's a three two six and before we started recording i confirmed that this was actually the defense you guys still play and it is so uh want to hear a little bit about that because mostly because you know tulsa we're familiar with the three three five so we we know how kind of having that extra safety back there works we play with the nickel safety uh but we haven't seen a two linebacker scheme before honestly i don't think i've heard of that uh maybe that's my fault but not one that rings a bell in my brain so uh how has that worked for you guys and did you okay couple questions one did you just start that for the first time last year and two uh how's it how's it going uh in practice yeah so last year was the first year um under our former defensive coordinator who is now the defensive coordinator at uh Texas A&M DJ no not DJ yeah Durkin I can't even remember his first name 
Um, but now that Chris Partridge is our defensive coordinator, they kind of maintained it. And to be honest with you guys, that it concerned me a little bit because I think it only works when you have, you know, a defensive line that's just absolutely explosive. And right. last year we had Sam Williams who just wrecked everyone and was so great. And this year there were a lot of questions heading in because, you know, our, our linebackers, all of our linebackers graduated and, you know, our starting two linebackers are playing the NFL right now. And so there was just a lot of questions, but so far it's working very, very well. Um, in against Georgia Tech, 29 different defensive players recorded a tackle. And I think that speaks to the depth of this group, which is also something that Ole Miss hasn't had um, definitely since Kiffin's been, been the head coach. So it's been three years now where, you know, guys are playing 90 plus snaps. And so to have a lot of people who we trust can play um, will be huge for Ole Miss. And I, I would love to see it against an SEC offense for sure. Um, and, and this pass heavy offense, that's something that, you know, Tulsa has that we haven't seen quite yet so far this season. So I, I'm excited to see how they work. And the good the good news is that if it doesn't work, then hopefully they'll adjust. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, you know, all the, you know, bunch of different guys making tackles on that defense. Uh, we just went on the Locked on Ole Miss podcast with Steve Willis um, yesterday, and he was telling us a little bit about the DBs for Ole Miss and how they're some of the most talented guys back there, which is nice when you've got six of them, I suppose. So, uh, how many, I guess, uh, of names that we haven't said yet on the defensive side, uh, whether they're backs or, or linebackers that backfilled for all the linebackers you lost last year or people on the line or whatever, who are some of the names that uh, Tulsa fans should watch out for on the defensive side of the ball? Um, definitely Aishim Young. Um, he's a new transfer from Iowa State. He's great. Um, also, uh, Taishim Johnson, um, A.J. Finley. Trying to think of some more. There's a we have a freshman corner who has been unbelievable as well. Davison Igbenesson. Ig Ig his his last name is a little tricky. But, <laughs> no uh, worries. There's a lot of there's a lot of great talent. And that's that's been the the glue that kind of holds the defense together is that our defensive backs are great and they have a lot of experience, um, which helps a lot when you have a little bit of a new, you know, upfront guys. Is there ever with the three two six scheme? Is there ever an issue stopping the run, or is it is that is there some contingency built into that scheme that that helps out with that? Um, it did a lot better last year than I think anyone thought because um, in twenty twenty, you just give anyone the ball and they ran straight through the defense. They were <laughs> it was, our run defense was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um. So since then, it, it looks like it's been cleaned up a lot, and we have a lot of guys who can make a lot of plays. Um, JJ Pegee, an Auburn transfer. That's another guy, um, an Oxford native, but went to Auburn and now he transferred back to Ole Miss. He was, he's been great as well. Cedric Johnson, um, all guys who can make a lot of plays. Yeah. It, it kind of sucks to say out loud, but I feel like this is the perfect scheme for Tulsa this year, like a, to play against Tulsa this year, because our running game is, is in the kind of in the gutter right now. Uh, we are, our our starting running backs coming into the year who were also mostly our starting running backs last season, uh, Texas A&M transfer to Eric Prince and Mizzou transfer Anthony Watkins were doing, had amazing years last year. Uh, Watkins, I think led or was second in the country in rushing yards and, uh, Prince is a, is a bruiser too. Both of those guys, uh, coming into the season this year, uh, out for no reason or no, no explanation as to why, um, that they didn't come out in that first game, and we haven't seen them since. Uh, the rumors are that it's academics-related, and they might be out for the year, unsure. But 
that that was a huge surprise for us, right? Because we were counting on on both of those guys, and neither of them are here. And so the running game has been weaker uh, than expected. So if you're gonna play a three-two-six, I mean, and and you talk about our passing game, it's been that's been on fire. That has been a monster improvement from last season. And if you've got six DBs back there uh, trying to cover that up, but maybe letting in a little more of the run, that sounds like a recipe for disaster uh, <laughs> potentially against Tulsa. So. Uh, kind of concerned uh, about that scheme. Makes a lot of sense uh, against our team specifically. So interested to see how that one goes. Yeah, I'm interested for sure to see. You know, Tulsa's kind of one-dimensional right now, if you will, with with their offense. Your guys are averaging what three three yards per carry? I think oh I man, I don't even. It's pro- It's not. It's probably not much above that if if it is at all. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely one I'm nervous for for this game. Mm. Uh, okay, so before we wrap up here, I want to ask something about Lane Kiffin. Um, you know, he's been a lot of places now, has had some drama here and there uh, in his career, but has been relatively successful at most of his stops, especially now at Ole Miss. Um, do do you and Ole Miss fans, are, are, is everybody just really loving the the Lane Kiffin running the show? Um, I know that last season, the 10-3 and three year, I think I saw that it's the first time in program history that Ole Miss got to 10 wins in the regular season. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's nice. So I got to think people must be riding high uh, on the Kiffin train, but um, is that, is that true? And how are you feeling about Lane Kiffin? Oh, I'm hopelessly devoted to Lane Kiffin. (laughs) I love it so much. Everything that he does, you know, he's so petty with (laughs) anyone who's playing against him. Like I understand why people hate Lane Kiffin, but because he's on my side right now, I just absolutely love it. Totally understand Um, that. A lot of fans, you know, when you, what he's doing for Oxford is incredible. You know, it's, 2020 was a tough year with um, just because it's such a small town and um, he's bringing so many people back, you know, Oxford is booming and you have to credit him for, and the football team for um, being able to do what they do. And also recruiting has been so great and it's, and it's fun. Like Ole Miss is fun again and it's not painful to watch, um, you know, like a rich Rodriguez offense anymore. So (laughs) it's, we're all big fans of Kiffin and and grateful for what, what he's done. So when you think about like this year and Lane Kiffin and coming off last season, and I think it's 13 in the coaches poll and 16 in the AP, or maybe that's flipped around and SP plus has both all misses offense and defense. I think top 15 right now in the country. Uh, do you think you'll finish where, I guess, where do you think you'll finish in the sec this season? <sighs> Such a great question. And I've been going back and forth on this a ton. Um, I want to say, you know, we'll definitely go seven and five and go to a decent bowl game. That's, you know, that's kind of the bare minimum after mm-hmm. a season like last year. But at the same time, there's a lot of SEC teams who have been basically hot garbage this year that we yeah. have to play. <laughs> it's true. So it does make me feel a little bit better that those, you know, teams that we would maybe, you know, normally lose to, it's going to be a little bit more of a dogfight. And so those can swing both ways. Um, but as long as our quarterback, you know, whoever that is, but it's going to be Jackson, um, kind of makes those smart decisions and gets a little bit more comfortable. Um, I think, I think the ceiling is high again this year. So, yeah, Matt and I actually both grew up Mizzou fans. So that oh, we still wow. pay attention to them. That is, that is just a dumpster fire going on over there. And then you got Auburn also looking rough and, uh yeah, it's you know, the bottom I, of the SEC this year is, is I saw lower than Auburn, normal. Um, lost their starting quarterback. Yeah, now so I think Mizzou plays Auburn this week too, which is going to be the worst yep. game, worst game of the season. 
But they have prime time or something. Ugh. Oh my god. Yeah, I think that's right. Oh yeah, that's my dad was making a joke about that. Yeah, good so stuff. Funny. It's awful. <laughs> Okay, so let me ask you one more thing before we close it out here. Uh, Ole Miss is like a 21 or a 20.5 point favorite, something something around there it was this morning. Um, do you think that Tulsa has a chance in this one, one, to cover the spread, two, to win the game? Oh, I love the saying, good teams win, great teams cover. But <laughs> yeah, I don't so know. do we. I don't know about that one. Um, after what I saw against Georgia Tech, um, I think Ole Miss has a lot to prove, and they want to. And it's a, you know we'll be at home; we're no longer a visitor. So I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> but, That's fair. Yeah, I wouldn't take my word for it. I'm definitely gonna take the over. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Matt made that made that comment too. What was the what was the over what was the over under Matt? Do you remember or or Ruby? I forty nine and a half. I want to say. I might no. be wrong about that. Let's see. I had even seen it somewhere in like low 60s at some point, and I'm still would take wow. that in a heartbeat. Still taking it. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Okay. Um, all right. I think that was mostly the last thing I had for you. Was there anything we didn't get to, Ruby, that you want to mention about all Mrs. team that, that we didn't talk about that you think is important for Tulsa fans to know? Um, I think we hit everything. I'm excited to see. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, so I guess before we let you, let you go here, where can people find your stuff on Twitter? If you want to share that or red cup rebellion stuff or college game day, now that you're, now that you're over there or plug anything you want, (laughs) you can find me at, um, Ruby Dre D R A A Y on all my social media platforms, as well as red cup. Um, I write for them exclusively now. So, um, yeah, you can come and read my stuff there. I'm sure I'll have a Tulsa game preview wrap up. So Cool. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, spending uh, almost half an hour with us. Really appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to the game. Like I said, I'll be there uh, on Saturday in Oxford for the first time. So can't wait just to experience uh, the Grove and what that's like. And hopefully it's a little closer than the 20 point spread, but sounds like maybe not. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yep. Awesome. Thanks guys. Hotty toddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See ya. Okay, thanks again to Ruby, uh, to Ruby Dreyer for joining the show. Really enjoyed talking with her about Ole Miss. Uh, some really good stuff in there. I was surprised, Matt, that she didn't think Tulsa had a chance really to even cover that spread. What do you think about that one? Um, I think Tulsa has enough offense to cover the spread. I think at the very least, Tulsa can um, – you know, be the bad beat team of the week where Ole Miss is, you know, maybe up 24 towards the end of the game and then boom, lightning strike, David Spring touchdown. <laughs> yeah. You know, we lose by 17 because 17 is about most I think we would lose by. I mean, we are so good about almost winning these games or keeping them <laughs> close. I like I, I'm, I'm taking and I, I will keep hype this. I don't bet. But like in my mind, I like to pretend that I do. And I've made so much money just taking the over for every TU game this year. So they've got 66 is not that much. Like we're definitely going to score 25. Uh, It's a weird score. We're going to square. Yeah, We're going to score like 24 plus points. Um, And so I, yeah, I I think we cover too. I think there's a slight chance. It's not, it's, 
you know, greater than zero to win outright, but a lot of things have to go really well for that to be the case. I agree. And yeah, I, I think we'll cover as well. I am with you on the over. I am also not a big gambler, although three times I have gambled, I've gotten them all right. So 100% for me. But the the thing is that I, and the thing that scares me, and I mentioned this, you, I mentioned this to you before we started recording here. Um, that scheme that they run three, two, six, so interesting, right? And they started this last year and I even mentioned it on the, on the interview uh, with Ruby just now. And that feels like the perfect foil to Tulsa right now, right? If we had Anthony Watkins and Daenerys Prince, maybe not because those guys can run the ball down your throat and really punish you in that game. Since we do not, you know, when you think of a three, two, six, there's not that, you know, there's, there's not very many people on the line in the first place. And then there's only two linebackers back there. And most, most of the other guys are playing in the secondary. And so that would, you know, lead one to believe that the running game should be more effective. However, I'm sure they have contingency plans in there for that. And uh, Ruby talked about it a little bit, but we our running game. I just don't have enough confidence in, in it to be able to exploit even if there is a weakness in there. And so if they're dropping back all these guys for pass protection, that's going to make it extremely hard on Davis Brandon. Yeah, I've, you know, we can talk all day about leading the country in four different passing stats and Keelan Stokes being third in the country in receiving yards and JC being in the top 10 and all this stuff, right? Um, but if, if Ole Miss just sells out on defending the pass, I still don't think we can run the ball effectively enough to keep like keep us ahead of the chains here and actually keep us in contention for this game. Uh, that's the worst case scenario, right? That the three, two, six works as designed and we can't get anything going passing. And therefore the rushing game also can't, you know, just the rushing game being what it's been this season. Uh, it's like bottom 20 in the country right now in terms of rushing yards per game. And part of that is because we're throwing the ball over the place and Davis Brins being great. But part of that is also we're, we're throwing it so much because I don't think Montgomery has very much confidence in the rushing game. So, I'm definitely concerned about that. Um, I think there's a chance we can pull it off. I don't, I, you know, the running backs have been getting better on a game by game basis. Uh, but Ole Miss is, is a new level of talent out there. So I am, I am slightly concerned about that. I still think 21 points is a, is a big number. I don't think TU is going to lose by that much. We haven't lost by that much in quite a while. Um, we're very good at keeping it close. Like you mentioned. So Definitely there. And then you just look at like, you know, I know this doesn't really matter. I'm mostly transitioning because I just want to talk about this one. But 3-0 and all time in Tulsa's favor. TU versus Ole Miss. Never lost to them. 3-0. And I put this on Twitter a while ago, or a couple days ago. In those three games, Tulsa has outscored the Rebels 87-7 to combined in those three games. They have shut them out in two of them, and, they, and Ole Miss scored a touchdown in one of them. And we scored 87 points in the meantime. So... That is pretty wild. This is actually the first time we've played them in Oxford. Uh, this is the fourth meeting all time, obviously. Uh, the other three meetings have all been in Tulsa, surprisingly. So first game, in, is that not right? That's what it looked like. Only one of them. Two of them have uh, were in bowl games. Two were bowl Oh, I saw. okay. So I saw one in – oh, you're saying the Tulsa stat is wrong. Okay, but it is the first meeting in Oxford, right? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, we had the – okay. And I saw the blue bonnet ball, so I remember that. But what was the other bowl game? Yeah, and now that I'm – remembering that you might be right on that um it's just the way that they said it was like our orange bowl season oh i see but i think that game was actually at tulsa so but the blue bond gotcha. i think was in memphis that makes sense okay so two games in Wait. tulsa one bowl game this is the first game in oxford uh yeah so glad we cleared that one up but 
No, man, I agree. So, like, are you does does the scheme there, like that I mentioned, the the three two six and the, the fears of them cutting off the passing game to an extent and the rushing game not being able to make the impact it would need to make to account for that. Does that scare you as much as it scares me? Yeah, and I talked about it when I was um, kind of saying, like, my fear about the if we have a rusher get injured, like our already, like, depleted running room, um, like, this is where that wall could theoretically pop up for the first time. Like, this is the first game where I think not having – the standard Tulsa rushing attack would have implications in our passing game is going to get hit a lot. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say like, this is make or break for Davis brain or anything by that, but I don't think he will have um, quite as much like overall control of the game as he has in the past couple of weeks. Um, like he's yeah. kind of been able to do whatever he wants offensively and like, he's not going to have that, ability and so like we've got to be creative we got to be able to do something so that we are not just relying on his arm for the entire game to keep us alive I agree man it feels like it's going to have to be and this is usually the case whenever you're playing somebody like you know Ole Miss is ranked number 16 in the AP 13 in the coaches poll they're number six overall in SP plus uh, top 15 offense and defense we mentioned before whenever you're playing somebody like that especially when you're playing on the road you pretty much you yourself as a team pretty much have to be flawless, right? To pull that off. And, you know, as I say that, I think about Tulane beating Kansas state, despite two interceptions and winning on the road in Manhattan, Kansas state, probably not the same caliber as all miss. So it's tough. You, you pretty much are going to have to play a flawless game. The running backs are going to have to really make a stand. And man, I know the rushing defense has probably been a little bit better than the passing defense in total this season, but going up against Zach Evans and this Quinchon Judkins, uh, freshman who is tearing it up so far this season, the rushing defense is going to have to like put on their big boy pants this game. That is a heck of a tandem. And then after that, we mentioned already Ulysses Bentley from SMU is their third string guy who's extremely talented in his own right. So the rushing defense, big. I mean, that is that is the key to the game as well as the rushing offense for us needs to be able to pull their weight. If it's all on Davis and Ole Miss sells out in the passing defense to try to take that away as much as they can. That's a recipe for disaster. So we'll see what happens. Um, I still, despite all that, I still cannot, I just can't see us losing by more than 21 points. It's just, that's a big number for a really talented team that is playing well right now. So hard to see. Uh, I still think we cover hard to, hard to see the win, not saying it's impossible. Um, cause I do feel great about this team right now, but I would sure feel a hell of a lot better if we had Daenerys Prince or Anthony Watkins back there. Okay, um, that's pretty much it. We got a couple other things. Uh, we'll talk some men's soccer and women's soccer and women's volleyball before we wrap up. But uh, I guess before we get to that, Matt, anything you wanted to to chat about? Uh, no, I'm just thinking we should do men's soccer last because there is uh, two minutes left in their game against Missouri State right now, <laughs> and so it'd be yeah. I think we should wait till the end of that result. Nice. What's the score of that right now? I knew they were playing. Yeah, we're currently up 2-0. We just, I don't, you may have seen, I fist bump pumped earlier. That was our oh, I did. goal. So. Okay. I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have the score live. Nice. Cool. Uh, so. Yeah, no. Do you So do you want to take point on either of these, or you just want me to sure, roll yeah. here for? I'll, yeah, go for it. I'll dive into the uh, the women's last week. Um, 
awesome week. So they opened up two. So first off, they had two games. Uh, one was the conference opener against Temple, and the other was against ORU, crosstown rival. This podcast, you know, we're always against ORU. One, both of them, one zero off of the same players scoring the golden goal or game winning goal for each one. So because of that, Jordan Frederick was named the offensive player of the week in the American. Uh, she scored, you know, the one against Temple, the one against ORU, had a total of like two shots and one, uh, as w- and three against Temple. No, nope, two shots in both. Sorry, misread. Um, on top of that, she was named to the College Soccer News Team of the Week, so getting some national recognition there. And then in other news, our freshman goalkeeper, uh, Tatum Sanders, was named the American Rookie of the Week for both Damn. of those shutouts. Um, so a really great week for the women's soccer team uh, coming off of that one-in-one week prior to that. Um, so now their record is 6-3-1 and one overall. So this is a this is a really good start to their season. Um, I want to say it's one of their like hottest seasons that they've had uh, in the last at least in the last couple of years since I've been um, paying attention, like mm-hmm. you know, with the podcast and all that. So really exciting on that front. And then they looks like they've got just one game this week, right? Going on the road to South Florida. I believe that's correct. Let me if you've got it. Yeah, just South Florida, and then. Yeah, East Carolina a week later. So, yeah, man, no, I no, I agree with you. It feels like we were talking about the women's soccer team a couple weeks ago too, and uh, you know they started the year like two and two and one or three and one or something, and that's what they did last year too before kind of falling off, right? And we were like, well, is that going to happen again this season, or are they going to be able to kind of pick up some momentum and, and roll with it a little bit? And definitely feels like they're on the right track this season, six and three uh, with the one tie in there. So. Definitely on the up, which is which is exciting, and one and zero in conference play, which is what matters the most. So very cool. Yeah, six is it ties them for um, what? That's how many wins they had all of last year, I believe. Oh shit, is that right? I don't remember just being six. Yeah, they Maybe were six right. nine and two last year, and Dang. then in twenty twenty two and six, they went eight and eleven. So they're looking to have their first winning season since. I'm um, trying to like find out. It's at least. Before 2017, yeah, nice. So cool. Right now good it's for looking, them. It's looking good. And it's who's the? I, I'm blanking on the. It's the first year head coach, right? What's what is? Mm-hmm. Her, it's a what's Jim her name? Jim Ryan. Oh, it's a man, Jim Ryan. Yeah, he was the uh, assistant, then became the interim because of COVID, or not because of, but during COVID. And this is his first year as full time head yes, coach. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, awesome. Cool. And on the women's volleyball side, uh, went to the Baylor Classic last week. And open things up with Baylor, unfortunately, and that one did not go very well. Lost that one three sets to zero, um, but took that, bounced back, uh, won the next two matches. So beat McNeese three sets to nothing, took that on, went to Sam Houston, beat them three sets to two. Uh, not sure if this was like a de facto tournament and there was like a final standings in it. Okay, there was. What Where, where did well, we land? No, I guess. So de facto tournament isn't really, they don't really, it's just... Um, like every game was at Baylor and Baylor was just hosting yeah. all these teams to play. So yeah. I mean, two and one, I don't think there's technically a standing, but I imagine that was second to Baylor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew they were all at Baylor. Just wasn't sure if there was like a bracket that we were uh, following or anything like that, but it seems like probably not, no, uh, but yeah, two like and one Robin exhibition yeah. kind of thing. Right. So two and one there. Pretty nice. Uh good result. Um, after, you know, 
hasn't been a dominant start to the season. I think we were what four and five going into this, uh, or no, we must have been five and four. And now we are seven and five uh, in terms of total matches on the season so far. So back in the winning column, uh, feeling pretty good. And we've got two matches it looks like coming up this week. We've uh, both of them at home, hosting East Carolina on Friday the twenty third. That is at seven p.m. And then hosting Temple on Sunday the twenty fifth. That is at one o'clock p.m. So. Two matches at the home stadium if you want to go watch some TU Women's Volleyball this week. Yeah, and with the uh, the 2-1, we also uh, had the Defensive Player of the Week in the American, uh, Marta Bacali, our libero. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, second straight week. So Yeah, I remember you saying that last week. That's amazing. Yeah, so solid, solid start. Um, coming into conference play, the American, at least in the past, has been pretty, pretty solid inter- at volleyball. Especially, I mean, you look at both those Florida schools. Yep. UCF is just really good at a lot of sports uh, because they're so big and they put so much money into it. But South Florida kind of right up in there. And so, you know, nice to open conference play at home this upcoming week because we go down to Florida for to face both of those teams at the end of the month. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Men's soccer. Did that game end or is it still going on? It's over and Tulsa won 3-0. 3-0, so got another goal there at the very end. All right, good stuff. Yeah, in the 90th minute. <laughs> yeah, very nice. That is cool. Okay, so got the win against Missouri State. Uh, that was on the road in Springfield, I believe, so mm-hmm. that is very nice. Good win there, 3-0. Um, we only had one other game last week. That was unfortunately a 3-0 loss to Florida International. I have no idea how good they are, uh, but based on the replies – Oh, they're ranked, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I didn't think they were going to be that good. Um, is Kentucky? They're they're ranked in there, aren't they? They weren't they yeah. like number six Kentucky when we was played number, them. Number three, number three, yeah. Damn, it was okay. one one. That's where I was getting the ones. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So dropped it to or tied to Kentucky, a uh, pretty highly ranked team, number eleven there, like you said. Um, lost it to Florida International, unfortunately, three nothing. That's a tough one. That's a that's an oof on that. So uh, first. Real loss of the season, despite, you know, we kind of should have had the other one. Was that Wisconsin? Am I thinking of that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we sort of should have two, but on the books, there's only one. So in reality, there is only one. So TU now is 3-1-1 one, and one, uh, with one tie there on the year. Um, four and, oh, 4 and one with the, with, the, with the win. That's right. Sorry, I got my notes here saying 3-1-1. One, one. But there is a breaking win, as we just talked about. So 4-1-1, one, one, uh, just beat Missouri State. We got one other game coming up this week. That is future conference mate, I guess current conference mate for the soccer team, uh, Charlotte, the 49ers, uh, coming to Hurricane Stadium on Sunday, the 25th, and that is at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, so if you're in town, want to catch some TU men's soccer, you got a chance for that as well. Yeah, I think after the Kentucky game, we were number 12 at the time. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't even realize. That's somewhere, cool. but I don't think we're ranked anymore, especially after the FIU loss. So, yeah. Um, and... I don't know, beating Missouri State at Missouri State, you'll remember last year, Missouri State got number one votes from uh, in some of the polls. Like They were a solid team, generally are very strong. And so to go on the road, I don't know how good they are this year. They're not ranked at this point. Um, but this is their first loss. They were 4-0-2 to start the season, just coming off oh, of wow. like a 7-0 win over CSUN, which I don't, <laughs> I don't know what school that is. Um, either. and so to get a three Oh on the, on the road solid, it's definitely, it's not the same team that we had last year. Um, that being said, 
Malik Henry Scott and Alex Minard were the first two goals of this Missouri State game. So yeah. kind of the same time, it kind of is the same team. <laughs> yeah, very nice. And those guys are just extremely talented, as hopefully everybody knows by by now. That is that is pretty awesome. All right. Anything else, Matt? Are you good to wrap this one up? I think I'm good to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to our humble little podcast here. Make sure you are following the show wherever you do listen to podcasts. Uh, just hit the follow button or subscribe, I suppose, if it still says subscribe uh, wherever you listen. Drop us a rating and a review over there, too. really does help. Really do like seeing those. Good feedback always helps people find our show as well. Um, if you want to support us financially, we do this all for free, so would appreciate any support you can give us. Uh, you can do so. Uh, you can find all the ways to do that by going to our website, that is thegoldenhurricast.com, or you can go straight to thegoldenhurricast.com slash support, and you'll find those ways there. Um, and finally, we are on Twitter. If you want to follow us over there, our Twitter handle is at goldenhurricast. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that too. Email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. If you got some feedback, you would prefer to send in an email. And that is it. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, really psyched for the Ole Miss game. Hopefully we can go get a, a nice ranked win on the road against the Power 5 SEC team. That would be incredible. Um, looking forward to it. I will be there in Oxford. So cannot wait. If you're out there, let me know. Hit me up. We can meet up. That would be fun. Uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Stay golden.